Good everyone, this is Rita Join and welcome to the Unbox Your Give podcast, how to switch a passion into a profession. If you have ever had a, a calling, a call, something that you wanted to help in society, but you thought, well, I've got, I, I can't just go and help people because I've got to provide for myself and I have to go and work and I've got to pay the bills. My guest today has found a way to be able to serve that thing that pulls at his heartstrings and be able to provide for his family as well. And my guest today is Luke Mickelson. He is the executive director and founder of Sleep in Heavenly Peace, a nonprofit that builds and delivers beds to children in need. He went from making great money to making zero money and had, is today with us to tell us the tale of how that actually happens and provide for his family. So Luke, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. No, that's great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you. Now, I want to just, I, I remember reading an article about you, uh, and it was a CNN article, and it was talking exactly how this all started. But I want to take you a step further back and take you back to a time where you were working in your corporate job, where you were making great money, and you, it was a career, I think, that was spanning 18 years in a particular company. Right. Can you take us back to that and say, because so you're working there, you've got a family, things are going well and then you see a situation where a kid is sleeping on the floor what is going through your mind and why did that situation really make you stop you know uh well i first of all i yeah i was with my job for 18 20 years you know um it was going to be the job i was uh going to retire mm -hmm. at um as a family-owned company and i i enjoyed uh what i did i enjoyed the people i worked with and uh you know, and starting starting out, um, you know, 18, 20 years ago, uh, you know, as as kind of a lowly salesman, um, it was fun to be able to, to, you know, rise to the top, if you will, of that organization, be involved with um, different companies and learning and um, uh, re refining, I guess, some of the skills I had uh, when, it, when it comes to becoming a, a salesman. But I think the biggest thing I enjoyed about the work was just the different people I got to interact with. You know, I, uh, if there's one thing that I had trouble with when I moved into the office is I didn't get the chance to go out and work with people as much as I did before. And I kind of missed that. And I think that kind of played a little bit of um, a role in my desire to get back out and connect with people. And, you know, as the story goes, when um, it was around Christmas time, and I was a member of a, a, a community church locally here, and I was a leader over their young men's program, um, kind of like a Boy Scouts program, and we did activities and things of that nature. Well, we found out, or it came up in one of our meetings, that there was a family that had kids sleeping on the floor, which just was kind of shocking to me. I didn't know that that was a problem and they fell on some bad times. So of course we wanted to help, you know, so we kicked around a lot of ideas in our meetings and uh, you know, where can we get a bed donated? Let's just go down and buy one. How do you raise money for it? Yada, yada. And you know, the thought came to me, I said, uh, I said to myself, you know, here I've got these kids. They were, they were 12 to 16, 18 year old boys that uh, instead of putting a controller, an Xbox controller in their hand, how about we try to put a drill in their hand mm. We'll teach them how to do something with it, you know. And I thought, let's let's we could do this by building a bed. Mm. And so that's kind of where it started, you know. We we didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I I liked playing with power tools like 
like most guys do. And, and the funny story is I actually had to borrow my wife's tools because uh, I didn't have as many as she did. So, <laughs> Love it. but uh, you know, we, we, my, my daughter had a bunk bed, so I kind of fashioned it after that and drew it up and went and got the wood. And over the next uh, couple of days, we, we built this bunk bed on my garage and just had a ball. I mean, it was just a, just a fun time. I got to see these kids bond with each other. Some kids never even touched a drill. Um, and so we sanded it, we put these, these pieces of wood together and, uh, then we got to deliver it. And funny story is I didn't get to deliver. I kind of stayed in my garage, uh, cleaning up while the other boys and some of the other leaders delivered the bed, but to hear their story on the, the next day and the impact it had with the family, with the, with the parents, especially the mom, um, I, I was really jealous. Uh, mm. I, I missed out on that, mm. you know, and so, uh, you know, I was sitting on my couch just, uh, you know, a couple of the, the next week later and, you know, at Christmas time, you, you got your kids and you want to provide for them. And, you know, we felt like we had a pretty good living and here we just got done with this service project, giving a bed to a child that didn't have any And my, and here's my kids complaining about some of the presents they asked for. And I told them there's no way they're going to get, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I don't know. Just something inside of me. I said, you know what? Um, two things. I've got to, I've got to teach these kids mm. how to appreciate what they have, mm. you know, but I also want to have them experience the joy of giving back to someone and volunteering. And so I remember I, I got up off the couch and my wife was cooking dinner in the kitchen and I was walking out of the garage and she stopped me and said, well, you know, where are you going? I said, you know what? We've got some extra wood. I'm just going to go build another bed. And so the next couple of days, we, uh, as a family, uh, built that that second bunk in the garage. And then we said, what do you do with it? Because <laughs> I didn't know anybody else that had, you know, kids sleeping on the floor. We, we knew we wanted to give it. I wanted to give it to a kid um, just because, uh, you know, it was just, it was, th these these four kids are in the situation they're in not because of their choices, mm -hmm. um, mostly. It's, it's out of their control. And so I wanted to give them an opportunity um, to have that, uh, have a, a, at this point a luxury item that you and I take, take for granted. So anyways, we threw it up on Facebook and thought, okay, well, let's just see if anybody knows of a family um, that could really use this, kind of as a Christmas present from my family to, to their family fully expecting that it was going to be everybody in the world's going to want this bed and just looking for a handout. And, um, I was actually reluctant to do it. My wife kind of talked me into it. And, um, what happened was quite the opposite. I had more people interested in wanting to help bring and buy food and clothing and bedding and mattresses. It was just, it was amazing. It, it, it just blew my mind how many people wanted to help. And so, uh, uh, so we, 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 obviously, I had a, a friend of mine knew of a family, um, about in a town about 30 miles away and, uh, they had just come out of homelessness and I call it my Haley story. Mm. Um, and what had happened was, uh, so, so we, we got the, the bunk bed, we scheduled a time, we came out and we walked into this, uh, this house and there was nothing in the house. It was empty. The only thing they had was a little carton that they had a hot plate on they were keep cooking that night's dinner which was just a can of soup 
was a mom and her, and Haley was like six or seven years old. And, and I was shocked, you know, at least they had a house. They'd been living in the, in, in the, in their car for the last seven years. And so, last yeah. Seven years? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Poor little Haley. And she didn't have her sister there, but um, Haley had never slept in a bed. Can you imagine? Wow. And so we, um, <sighs> we went to her room and in her room, you know, you got, you got tore up carpet and you got holes in the wall. And, but then again, you've got, you know, these dolls that she was given and she's got pictures that she drew from school and she's trying to make it her room. Well, there was nothing but a nest of clothes in the corner. Mm-hmm. And that's what really got me. I just thought, my gosh, this, this little girl's routine was she would come home from school, take her school clothes off, put her pajamas on, sleep on her school clothes, wake up and reverse that. And I just was, I was appalled. I was, I was, uh, I was in shock. And, and so we were excited to go out. We ran out and got the, got the bed, brought it in piece by piece, started putting it together. And you could see her little, little eyes, you know, shine as she watched us put these pieces together. And me and my friend, Jordan Allen and my wife, we were the ones delivering it. And she wouldn't stop hugging us. She wouldn't stop hugging the bed, kissing the bed. It was the neatest thing. And, oh. But probably what got me the most was um, seeing the mom and the mom's face. Um, you know, she obviously was just in tears. And you can, you know, there's something to it, especially if you're a parent, mm-hmm. you know, to think that here you've got years and years you spent trying to provide for this child mm-hmm. or her kids doing the best that she can. And, uh, and this is not an uncommon scene. Um, you know, we, 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 these kids sleep with their parents or their parents give them their beds and then the parents don't get a good night's sleep. It's just a vicious, vicious cycle. Mm. And so we were really excited to give that bed to her. And I remember when we got back in the car, you know, we had a 30 minute drive home. We really didn't say much to each other. Um, you know, the, the, the weight of that emotion was still on us. And, and I just remember thinking, well, we got home and I told my wife, I said, you know, for the few hours and night that that took to build that bed, um, to solve that problem, that was well worth my time. Mm. And I said, you know, no kid was going to be able, was going to sleep on the floor in my town if I had anything to do with it. Mm. And so that's when we decided we were going to, we're going to make something of it. And that was on the drive home. That was when on the drive home. We kind of talked about it. In fact, it was probably, I don't know. We were about 10 minutes from home and you know, I think we all felt the same way. Um, we, we started piecing together a plan of, yeah. it really was just going to be a little Christmas project that we would do every year. Mm. Um, you know, it, it wasn't until we got home that my wife and I said, you know, we had all these people wanted to donate. All these people wanted to help. I said, you know what? We could probably do more this year. So we took our whole Christmas fund, me and my wife, and um, went to the stores to try to find our best, the best deal on wood and material and tried to get, you know, tools. And we had all, all sorts of friends come by and help us build. We built uh, nine more. So we built 11 that year in our garage. Wow. And uh, delivered them all before Christmas. That was kind of the goal was to get them out before Christmas. And how did you find those people for the, for the 11 beds? How did you, a Facebook again? 
yeah, that first post, you know, we still got people that were interested. Um, and it was really funny. Uh, I, I don't remember all of them, to be honest with you. It was a while ago. Mm-hmm. But I do know that a lot of the family and friends that came and helped, um, they reached out. And that was the fun part, too, to see, you know, these people. Hey, I, I know of a family or I know, I know of someone that knows of someone, right? Um, or, a, a, you know, this house burnt down and they're struggling. And I know. So it was really neat to see the investigation of all these people go out and come back. And, and then we, you know, at that time we were delivering food and pajamas. I mean, everything we could find to deliver these families for Christmas. And, and it was just a really neat experience for us all. Um, but just as neat was to see the, the volunteers, the friends and family that wanted to help. And I mean, we're talking, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Scott Butler, um, who, uh, if you ever saw our episode on returning the favor on Facebook watch, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. with Mike Rowe, you know, Scott Butler was the chapter president though. And the, the inside man, they call him. Well, Scott, can't, he, he graduated with me from high school 20, you know, 20 plus years ago. He came and helped out. I hadn't seen Scott in 20 years. Wow. And he came and helped out with that project. So it really brought people out of the woodworks to connect with one another. Literally. <laughs> you know, and, and the funny, it was just really cool to see. And I always tell people, look, Sleeping on the Peace or SHP as we, uh, as we call it really solves two problems. It obviously mm-hmm. solves uh, child uh, bedlessness, you know, getting mm-hmm. kids off the floor. But it also brings families together, brings communities together. You know, I tell people, look, we can build these beds in our garage by ourselves all we want, but it doesn't solve some of those problems, especially the second one. Mm-hmm. So we made it, you know, our program is, that isn't our program. Our program is to build these beds with the community, using the community uh, and that's why we set up chapters that way, because it solves that problem. So I want to talk about chapters. I want to go, because you've, you've, you've really increased it to that level. But before I do, that, that, that drive home and you're speaking to your wife saying, you know, that spending my time building this bed for, and seeing the joy on that child's face, on Haley's face, you know, I don't want any child in our town to go bedless. At what point did you think, okay, I've got to go full time into this? I can't just... Just put it on the side, and yeah. what did that take? Because that's a scary leap for you personally, because you're the father, you're the you're the breadwinner. I mean, you've got kids, and yes, you want to teach your kids and bring your whole family on this journey of being God conscious and serving, and you know, helping a community. But at the same time, I mean, I know you're thinking as a human, I got to provide as well. Oh yeah, you know, the fortunate thing was, um, you know, we entered into doing sleep in heavenly peace with no intention of it being a nonprofit. You know, it was something we kind of fell into. It was just, it was, a. in fact, I remember um, my, after we got done, we probably had built three or four and we had more people interested in wanting to help. And my wife, my wife said, you know, you probably should call it something. And, you know, like a little service project. And I, you know, I kind of thought, and <laughs> I came up with the, the ever beloved, name called um beds for babes <laughs> and uh you know it sounded good in the head but uh, when my Sorry. wife said it out loud oh no it's it's worth it's worth the laugh um she said no you're not calling it that <laughs> so, 
yeah, no. I thought, well, okay, then what do you call it? And she's, it was Christmas time, you know, and, and Silent Night is such a fun, fun uh, Christmas song. And, uh, you know, Sleep in Heavenly Peace just, just made so much sense. Yeah, okay. You know, so my wife said, how about Sleep in Heavenly Peace? And I said, you know, it's just, I always tell people, it's one of those things where you kind of went, duh, that, that, make, that makes sense. Yeah. Yep, that's what we need to call it. That's and so anyways, we, we, we started around, uh, down this path. And it wasn't until like two years later that we realized, hey, you know what? Instead of trying to financing this all ourselves, why don't we try to, why don't we um, look into this nonprofit world? What is this like? I mean, I didn't know what it was. Uh, I knew what a nonprofit was, but I didn't know anything about setting one up. And what it takes to set up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so we, we went down that road. Uh, and so we officially became a nonprofit uh, two years later. So 2014 is when we were an official nonprofit. <clears throat> and so um, I still worked, you know, for the next uh, oh, four years, you know, I still, no, excuse me, two years. Um, I still worked um, at my job and, and uh, other people that were involved still worked at theirs. And we did it just in, you know, part-time. Well, first we were just doing it uh, at Christmas time, you know, but like when you talk to these other chapter presidents or have a chance to uh, visit with someone other than me, um, you learn that it's so addictive. It's so satisfying um, to learn how to help and not only help someone, but help a child with something like a bed. Mm. Um, and it's a need that is not being addressed, not by very many people. Um, you know, and I started searching around really in the United States. I only found one other organization that was uh, providing beds um, as kind of a part-time thing for them. Um, and uh, it was just wasn't, it wasn't being addressed like how we could and wanted to address it. But it, it so we started doing more builds through the year, you know, um, which turned into about one a month which was every, you know, that's one weekend a month that we spent a lot of time. And I was spending all my vacation time doing that. Um, it was just very clear that it, it not only was a passion of mine, that it, it, we could take this to a whole nother level if we wanted to. Um, you know, and my employer was pretty good about it. They, you know, they let us, they, in fact, our first couple of years, the, we did the builds inside um, their warehouse. Oh, wow. Um, they let us use it for a couple of years. In fact, they were one of the biggest donors for our first trailer, um, our enclosed trailer, so we could deliver during rainy or snowy days. Right. But, you know, it just got so, it, it got so big, so fast, and such a need arose that we mm -hmm. uncovered um, that we, I remember coming home one day and I said, you know, Heidi, um, that's my wife, I said, we need, we need to make a decision here. And I said, you're right. I mean, I'm the breadwinner. Um, this decision, if it were up to me, it would be easy. Um, you know, this is what I want to do. I don't care if I live in a shack, we're going to do this. Right. Mm. But it wasn't just me. It was my kids and it was my family and it was, you know, yeah. their kid. Yeah. So it, yeah, it was a big decision. And I tell everybody I've got the best wife in the world because, mm. you know, I came home and without a doubt, uh, without uh, hesitation, my wife said, Oh yeah, you have to quit your job. Wow. <laughs> you married the right girl. You married the right girl. Oh, it's a little scary how quick she said it. It's like what? Yeah, no, but uh, it was. It was very scary. Um, and so we, we, you know, 
we weren't making a salary with SHP at all. And when we, when, when I quit SHP still was not big enough to even come close to paying a salary. Um, so can I just you know, stop you there for one second, Luke, because at that point, so, you know, sleep in heavenly peace was not able to pay you a salary or to even cover any costs. Did you ever at that point think, okay, so what if we turn this into a social enterprise or what if we just got more sponsorships on, but like, did you ever go into those thinkings or were you just, just on the perspective of nonprofit? You know, we were at that time looking for pretty much any opportunity we could to raise money. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember because this has been a little over a year and a half ago now, but um, you know, we, I think the statistics, we were only about 5% of the, of the annual revenue that we received came from grants. So we knew that that was a good option. Okay. At the time, I think Sleep and Emily Peace, we finally received about uh, $60,000 worth of donations that year, you know, but 50,000 that's going to, yeah. you know, making beds. So, mm -hmm. and, uh, well, at that time it was more than that, but you know, so there wasn't any room for salary in there, but I also knew that we, we weren't tapping everything that we could. And we were starting to get a lot of interest with people outside of our area, outside of Idaho, which is where I live and where we started it. Um, and that was just, it was the way it came about was just so I'll use the word divine because mm. you know, it, it, it showed us that not only were we crazy enough to do something like this and passionate enough that there were other people that felt the same way and they wanted to start it. We were actually starting to put on chapters, you know, one in San Diego and one in Maryland and one in Minnesota and Texas and Utah. We were starting to put these chapters on before I quit that helped me realize that, okay, this could be something bigger than what, than what it is right now. And, um, I just had to have faith that, you know, we, we, we had to have faith that it was going to get there. <laughs> okay. So you're living off savings at this time. Pretty Correct. Much. Yep. Ah, okay. Yeah. So you're living off savings. Um, you've got chapters now. How did the chapters come about? Because I know you've got over 65 chapters and you oh, pro no. provide the training courses, the construction manuals, you know, it's a community movement at these different chapters. So how did that all come about? So it's a great question. You know, at first we call them, um, we call them second generation chapters. Um, and what that means is if someone knows a chapter president, and at, at this time it was just me and one other friend, Jordan Allen, he started, he started the Boise chapter, which is just about two hours away. Um, you know, it was friends and families that we knew, you know, the San Diego was the third chapter we started. That was one of my best friends who lived in San Diego and he had a friend in Texas and, and we had friends in Utah and that's, they, they've been watching us for about three or three years, three, four years. And they just decided, look, we want to be a part of this. And so we, Jordan and I, and my wife and, and Jordan's wife, we were kind of made up the board of directors. We kind of threw this, this program of how we can get chapters running and, and um, we implemented it and they, these guys started coming online. And it wasn't until, and so at that time we put on about nine chapters. Um, but when returning the favor, the, this Facebook watch episode with Mike Rowe, it aired February of last year. So February of 2018. Well, it had over nine and a half, almost nine and a half million views. Wow. And uh, we had over, after that aired for the next couple of three months, 
we had over 3,000 new chapter requests globally. Wow. Yeah, so we really kind of went into scramble mode of how can we bring chapters on. So we, you know, lack of a, I don't know, education (laughs) or lack of experience, we did our best to try to put together a really good program, which is now much more refined than it was a year ago. But uh, we've been able to put uh, over a, or train, I should say, over 166 chapters. Oh, my goodness. 166 chapters? In 42 states. And and now we're flying up to Canada to start Canada up here in a couple of months. So, Well, huge, big, fat congratulations. That is mammoth amount of work. So can I ask, on the Facebook Watch, to get that many viewers, but forget the viewers, the fact that people were transformed from what they watched to now wanting to take action. Now that's where the impact is. What right. was now, what was being um, streamed on the Facebook? Watch? Like, was it a, you going in and explaining what was going, like what was happening? So for people to yeah. take active interest. Yeah. So the, the, the video is about 22 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, oh, well, everybody loves Mike Rowe. He's the, he's the dirty jobs guy. You know um, it's a, just a program here in the States. Okay. Um, I don't know if it was aired everywhere, but he's a, he's a TV icon. Okay. And um, uh, if, if you've ever seen Deadliest Catch on Discovery Channel, um, you know, it's probably a, a States thing. But he, <laughs> anyway, he's, a, he's a, a, a TV icon up here. Okay. And um, he put together this Returning the Favor, which is just an it's a, it's a, a Facebook watch series of him going around the country. Oh. And he he finds what he calls bloody do-gooders and these do-gooders he highlights what they do and then he gives them kind of a gift at the end of it. Well, we got selected. um, So he flew out and he filmed what, you know, kind of what we did, how we built the beds. Then we took them on a delivery and showed them where these, some of these kids are sleeping in it and how we deliver it and yada, yada. And at the very end, I won't spoil it for those who haven't seen it, but at the very end, he gives us a gift that really helps us um, grow, uh, grow locally and stabilize, um, uh, put a little foundation underneath this. But um, from there, people watched that and they were so touched. Again, it goes back to what I said. SHP solves that second problem. And that mm-hmm. second problem is there's so many good people in the world, people that want to make a difference people that want to have i call it a time these tiny moments Mm -hmm. in our lives where like you know what i know i'd like to have purpose i'd like to leave this world with a positive Mm -hmm. impact that i made people are looking for that Mm -hmm. and and to see children you know whether it's children dogs oceans you know whatever the passion is you know people have it and Mm -hmm. Just a lot of people saw that episode and realized, oh my gosh, um, A, I didn't know that that was a problem, mm-hmm. and B, this is what I'd like to do. I and so all, all we wanted to do yeah. was provide um, an avenue for them to accomplish that. Oh, that's brilliant. So if someone wants to watch that, where would we go? It's just on Facebook. So if you go to Facebook mm-hmm. and type in returning the favor, okay. it'll pop up as a as a page and you'll they'll have episodes i think they have four episodes or four seasons and we're uh season two episode nine 
Excellent. So returning the favor on Facebook so that we know exactly where to go. So now this is interesting. You've got chapter, so that happens, that blows it up. And what I'm hearing, Luke, is that the fact that the chapter started is that your friends who started up those chapters were actually watching you. So it was three years of you just doing it on your own before that movement was created and people started to understand your commitment, that you weren't just dabbling in this, that this was the real deal, something that was creating impact. And that's how, so the Facebook watch happens, it blows up. Are you still at this point uh, living off your savings? Oh, no, 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 no. I was actually very fortunate. Just, just, just a couple of months later, um, it was really funny. I had a, I had a vendor that um, I worked with in my previous job. As soon as they found out that, you know, I was open, um, they offered me, you know, they, they wanted me to come work for them. And it was, it was actually an area of my work that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't executive vice president like mm-hmm. I was in my other job. So it wasn't near as demanding. Um, but it was very enjoyable. But when I sat in the interview with them, I said, I hope you understand that my passion is my nonprofit. And that will always come first. You tell me how many jobs, how many bosses would hire you yeah. If you said something like that, yeah. um, and you know what, this company and this, this, this particular, the owner of this uh, company are just un- incredible people, mm. um, and very blessed. Uh, so, you know, they hired me. I only picked, I made half as much as I did before. It wasn't very much, but, uh, we were very grateful for it. And, oh, uh, wow. so we were able to, you know, kind of, kind of slow the, slow the, uh, the decline there a little bit. And, uh, but it's been great, you know, it's been great. And so, knowing that as SHP was going to grow, um, we could, we could uh, eventually make up the difference. And, um, you know, parts of me wants to do, I do SHP, you know, essentially full time all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, parts of me like that and parts of me didn't because it was such a passion. I didn't want to make my passion, my job. Yeah. You know, you always worry about that. Mm. Um, but I haven't got sick of it yet. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I just love it. So how do you separate your time, Luke? How do you go to work? Do you go to work and then come on and do it, spend all the time on SHP? And then do you, where do you spend spend time with family? Like, how does that, like, how do you juggle it all? It's, it's, it's a, it's a struggle. It's a juggle. I'll tell you that, you know, I, uh, I go to work for my job and I get to do SHP kind of weaved in the middle Mm -hmm. there. Uh, And the beauty of it, I do, I do some travel, you know, so I travel to um, pretty much, most of the Western states, uh, California and Washington, Arizona. Um, and the beauty of it, when I do travel, there's usually a chapter president or a chapter close by that I get to go and help with, you know, so that the, the biggest help, um, and the reason why we're able to do this isn't, isn't because of one guy. We have 40 different people just in SHP's, let's call, you know, staff leadership that have taken up uh, you know, and sacrificed a lot to get SHP where we're at right now and keeps this ship running. I mean, there's, there's people, there's meetings, there's committees going on all the time that, that I don't, I don't even know about, which just puts a smile on my face because there's just that, that, that many people that are passionate about getting kids off the floor mm. and all volunteers. I mean, none of those guys get paid at all. Wow. And so when you have, when you've got these, these like huge chapter representations all around the country, 
for someone who's doing that, and I know that you've got different chapter presidents, is it hard to, I mean, I think it's easy to recruit people for the work that, that's taken place. From that perspective, is it hard to retain people? Like, do they come and they build some beds and then they kind of go off into their own world and then forget about it and they come back? Like, is that, like, what's the most difficult part? Because for people who are listening and who are thinking or who have non-for-profits or who are thinking of starting one, I'm just trying to really highlight what are the highs, what are the lows, what's to watch for as things really break out and grow big? You bet. No, I understand. Um, well, first of all, if you look at the fact that we had 3,000 chapter requests, but only 166 showed up, that tells you, that tells you a little bit about how people get really excited very fast, yeah. but, but it takes a level of commitment mm. to keep that excitement up. And what, what we found was when we put our onboarding process in place, we did it for a couple of reasons. Um, but if, if there was one main reason, it was to make sure that the, um, that the person applying to be a chapter president understood all that went into it. That's what we emphasized. So, you know, if someone wants to be a chapter president, we give them a link, they go to the link, they watch an hour long webinar that mm -hmm. is nothing but, Hey, this is what we do. This is what a chapter president does, so forth and so on. Then they have to fill out a five page application, which sounds like a lot. It's really not too complicated, but really the application is, you know, Hey, rate yourself on how do you raise money? How would you handle big crowds? Can you lead? Can you put together a team? I mean, all these questions that would help them realize that, Oh, I'm going to have to do that. You know? And so we want them to think about it. And then after they get all of that um, done and they submit it, their name then goes to um, an area. We have the country split up in nine different regions and we have what we call a chapter support lead that is over that region. They get their contact information and then they send them an email, invite them to, um, to a Zoom meeting, a, a conference meeting, and they do another presentation that kind of goes over a more, instead of a 5,000 foot view, it goes over a 500 foot view. Mm and they can ask questions. And so they go through a series of meetings. Um, and then the last thing, which is probably the most, most difficult thing is they have to, um, they have to actually fly out to Twin Falls, Idaho and get trained. Uh -huh. And, um, and so, you know, we figure if someone goes through all of those steps and mm -hmm. is committed to do that, then they're going to stick around. And luckily, you know, we've had a hundred, we're right at 166 chapters presidents that we have trained but we only have about a hundred and it's, I think right now, 152 mm. that are being onboarded. So not everybody that comes out that far makes it. And we've had a few, I would say we've had less than um, 5% that have come out, went back, started their chapter, just couldn't raise enough money and got frustrated and, and decided to, to close down. So we, I think is we, we've got a pretty good success rate. Um, but with that, you know, we feel like, I always feel like it's my responsibility, um, to keep, because I think a, a person that, that fails at becoming a chapter president is more that they just didn't understand all the possibilities that, um, that are in front of them and they didn't have the confidence to do what they could do. And that confidence, I take that on me as we, we, we probably could have either trained them better provided better literature for them and, and so forth and so on. And so, you know, we, 
that first three or four months, because we were having we were having chapter presents fly out to Twin once a month. Each each session we did had 20, 30 chapters coming into it. Wow. Uh, you know, yeah, it was, they were big classes. And now we, we shorten those to every other month. They're still 15 to 20. Um, but um, we spend a lot more time with them before they come. We train them a lot more because um, just we have more programs in place to help them. Okay. And so our retention has been a lot higher because we've been able to provide the training and the confidence they need. And, and we're just a little bit smarter about how to do, how to do stuff, you know. How did, cause this is really interesting because how did you, like, was it easy to upskill yourself because you just wanted to make a bed for someone and now you've got training elements and now you've got, you're preparing people for leadership roles. Cause it's like, did you, what did you have to do to prepare yourself to upskill any part of yourself to be able to, cause you've got to expand yourself as you're expanding oh, yeah. this non-for-profit. You oh, yourself yeah. are doing a lot of work in the background just on a personal development. Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I, <laughs> I always tell me and my, my wife and our friends, you know, our board of directors, we kind of laugh. Had we had any idea mm. what it was going to take to get here? I don't know if we did, we would have done it. <laughs> you know, it's uh, no, it, it, you're right. You know, when, when we met before returning the favor was going to air, mm -hmm. we knew that we were going to have some traffic, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we spent some time I and mean, we didn't even have a really good running uh, website. We didn't have any store. You couldn't buy any apparel. We knew we knew we wanted that. You know, we had zero training facility, zero training material. Whether especially for people coming on board, I mean, really, the process back then was: you want to start a chapter? Oh, okay, well, let's get in a conference call. We'll talk, and then we'll get you going. Yeah. You know, we had no process in place, so we spent a good between. It, it was filmed in November and aired in February. So we had three months yeah. and we spent a good portion of that three months just going over, okay, what happens with this and how do we do that and blah, blah, blah. You know, and at that time we just only had about 15 people helping us do that. But I'll tell you what, they were high quality, mm -hmm. very dedicated people. And, you know, we just learned as we went, we were really lucky to have the chapter presence that came on board early. were patient enough with us. Um, to, to, to let us go through these growing pains and, uh, you know, we still have them, you know, we mm -hmm. still have growing pains and yeah. I think it, we always will, but, um, but, you know, I think we got some things right. Um, we learned some from some mistakes that just took, you know, 10 months to, to get more refined and better at it and more people get involved. And, you know, the other problem we had was there was really only about 10 of us at that time last year that had ever built more than five bunk beds. <laughs> but 10 months later, we had 200 people that had never built a bunk in their life or maybe only a few. And these, you know, the only people that knew how to do it were these, these 10 people. Wow. So, you know, that, that was a challenge too. Now it's so much easier because these, you know, these 200 people that have come on and now they've, they've built hundreds of beds They've been through the process. They've trained and worked with thousands and thousands of volunteers. So it just makes, now it's not just us doing the training. We have the trainees now training new trainees. And mm. it, that's why it's just so much easier now. And, and it, it'll just get easier and easier the bigger it gets. And it sounds to me, Luke, that you've got now like a whole team of people that are like an executive, like so-called an executive team, and that kind of proliferate out and then help 
with every, all the logistics and the trainings and all that. Is that is that correct? Oh yeah, we have. So we have the board of directors. In fact, we just we went through um, a, a reorganization um, just just a month ago. What happened was we were fortunate to be a CNN hero, and a CNN hero. When you're a top ten CNN hero, um, you're you get to go to what's called the Annenberg Alchemy Foundation, which is in California. And they teach nonprofits how to be nonprofits. And mm -hmm. boy, we were starving for that kind of stuff. Well, when we came away from that, we learned that there were some things we did right. And there was a lot of things that we needed to change. Mm -hmm. One of those was we needed to structure uh, differently because mm -hmm. we had the board of directors and the board of directors were making all of these, not just governance decisions, but they were making management decisions as well. And that's not how a nonprofit should be set up. You have a board that makes governance decisions and bylaws and rules and regulations. But then you have a management team, an executive team, we call it, that actually runs and manages the nonprofit. Mm -hmm. So it was, a, it was a challenge because me and my wife, I mean, we started it. Um, we had our two friends, uh, Jordan and Heather Allen, that helped us get it going. We were all on the board together with a couple other people. Well, when we came away from that training, mm -hmm. I came me and my wife came off of the board mm. and now ran the management side. I was executive director. So I had a, I had my executive team to put together. That was, that was a difficult day to feel mm. like you're coming off the board of, of, uh, you know, your, your profit, yeah. nonprofit that you started, you know, yeah. but I'll tell you this. And for anybody that's listening, that wants to start a nonprofit, mm. that was by far the best decision we ever did because now now that we had, I was able to create a management team. So now we have a director of, a director of finance, a director of e-commerce, a director of marketing, you know, um, a, a director of operations. Um, now these directors can go and do what they need to do. Um, and so really our org chart, organizational chart, I mean, we have, I think I counted 42 people that are on that org chart now. <laughs> <laughs> that's big. That's a lot of management. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, and I'll tell you the other key. Here's the other key. In my, in my humble opinion, mm. a good manager allows people to do their job. Mm -hmm. And I quickly realized SHP was much, much bigger than one person. I knew that a long time ago, but it becomes more, even more critical. And I see this all the time. Even when I went back to Annenberg and sat around these awesome top 10 heroes and listen to how their boards and how their organizations structure. And I just sit there and I look, you know, I don't want to be the bottleneck to my own organization. And I don't want a, a particular manager to be the bottleneck of his area. So when we put, when we train our, our upper management, you know, I say, look, you're going to get better results out of a person if you give him the reins him or her the reins and let him run with it mm. you know let him go and we've heard this before i mean how many times you say hey i hired you i didn't hire someone else and and i believe that we want we can't control everything and if you try to control everything and not allow people to do the the position that they're they feel like they're called to number one you lose them yeah. you lose their enthusiasm and then you become the bottleneck. So it's really just getting out of your own way. <laughs> no. But it's hard. And it's, yeah, and that's exactly what I was referring to as your development for yourself, that you have to recognize that of yourself. So to, and it's your baby, like. Oh yeah. Oh, well, I tell you what, it, you know, the, 
how I built the bed in my garage is much different than how I build the beds now. Really? Oh, well, let me, we, you know, the, the, probably the, one of the biggest things, the most, I should say the, the biggest material, not the biggest, but um, one of the budgeted materials was, was uh, knee pads because <laughs> we built these on the floor. Oh my yeah, God. we don't we don't buy knee pads anymore. I mean, it's just funny. And and if you look at that, you know, it was very difficult for me when someone comes up and says, "Hey, you know what, Luke? If you didn't build it like this, but built it like this, yeah. you would do much better." And you know, your first instinct is like, "Hey, wait a minute, dude, this is my thing. What do you do? you know? You really have to swallow your pride, and you really have to get out of your own way." Because I'll tell you right now. If we kept building beds like we did in my garage, I don't think I could handle that. It was terrible. <laughs> it took me three days to build one bunk bed. Now we can build 15 bunks an hour. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That's – and yeah, I know what, I, what I find is really amazing, Luke, is with anything that really takes us on a journey is the lessons that we're learning about our own self. I mean, how your, your evolvement your, – the evolution of who you're being and who you are and how you're learning about yourself and learning to swallow your pride. And you think, Hey, this is my baby. Don't, don't mess with it. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. But just, just those little things that you might think it actually is a big fat deal because it's your identity and your identity is being contested in that moment. And you just got to, it's for the cause, you know, the, the, the common good, the greater vision is what you're working towards. And that's what you're constantly reminding yourself, which is, which is hard at times in moments like that. Oh, well, SHP did, has done a lot for me. Hmm. If there's one thing that I'm very grateful, selfishly, I should say grateful that SHP's done for me. In my previous life, um, you know, I measured success so differently than I do now. You know, success back then was how many zeros were behind my paycheck hmm. or how big my house was or, hmm. you know, what I had. Hmm. Um <laughs> To see a kid sleep in those conditions, that changes you. And it, it changed me in a way that I didn't expect. Um, I wouldn't call myself a vain person, but my, my view on what success was, because everybody wants to be successful. They want to feel a sense of success. And I hunted for that. I was very competitive growing up. I was a, you know, I was the the local football star and, and sports guy and blah, blah, blah. So I was very competitive in nature and I always, always sought for that. And I thought that was in my, my, my salary. But when I delivered that first bunk to that kid, you know, I walked away there going, you know what? I, I don't care about that anymore. I don't, I don't care about, you know, the house I live in or what people think about the car I drive. Because you know what, 25, 45, 60 years from now, or when I'm dead, I wanna be able to look back and go, you know what, it's not the money I made, but it's the people I helped. And uh, I don't know, that really just resonated with me. So now I measure success so differently now. Um, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's about uh, the journey of life, and how you treat people along that journey and, and what impact that you're going to leave um, on the, what footprint are you going to leave on this, on this planet when you leave, when you die. And, and I just want it to be a good one. Mm, I love that.
And if anyone can speak to that, it's you because you did have the high-flying career. It's not like you never had that and go, well, I don't need that. Because you've lived that life and now you're living this particular one that's completely different. What I find really amazing about yourself, Luke, is that did you ever at any point or even now, what is your ultimate vision for for the work that you're doing? Like what is, what's the ultimate that you see? Like if this is going to be the, your last day on earth, what was the ultimate that you want to leave behind with the work that you're doing, the charity with the nonprofit that you're working in right now? No problem. Yeah, absolutely. Our mission is no kid sleeps on the floor in our town. And when you, when you look at that and actually analyze that mission statement, I've had a lot of people, I mean, pretty, pretty large, like the Annenberg foundation, talk about changing our mission statement. Because when you think about what mission statements are, most nonprofits or most mission statements are the company telling the world what they're doing, right? That's a mission statement. Mm. Ours isn't. No kid sleeps on the floor in our town. That mission statement is meant to be said by the volunteer, by the community. Mm. So, you know, we want, we don't want any kids sleeping on the floor. And we want people to feel that and step up to that calling worldwide. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I promise you right now, this train will not stop running. It will not stop running. And, it, and, and why? Is because we got people out there that are just as crazy as I am. Mm-hmm. You know, far better people than I am, but, but just as crazy as I am that have a passion um, to solve a problem, have a passion like I do that, that wants to leave a good mark in this world. And you know what? Millennials and these, these growing kids feel that they see that it's actually a problem growing up. These, these companies train these, these kids. And you know what? They, they actually care about the community or they care about the environment or they care about good causes. And if that company doesn't back or have some sort of, good cause connection, they lose these kids. And I'm just proud of them. I'm proud of them. I'm proud of those people that, that take the step, take the challenge, take the leap of faith, if you will, mm. to, to want to do good and good in this world, you yeah. know, and you don't, I mean, you don't have to quit your jobs and you don't have to do all that, but you do have to, you do have to get off the couch. I call it. You do have to get up and you do have to put things in place and put actions in place and maybe sacrifice a little bit to make something happen. Cause I mean, I don't feel like I sacrificed a lot. Um, I think most people would say you did, mm. but looking back from, and especially what I've received in return, mm. you know, true joy. I always said true joy um, comes from stop looking at yourself and, mm-hmm. and see how you can help someone else. Because when you do that, you know, you're, your whatever's bothering you that day or bothering you that year, it just doesn't seem, it just seems insignificant. You know, it just doesn't seem like your boss yelled at you or you you lost a client at work. You know what? I, I, this kid I just helped last night deliver a bed. That meant something, you know, that's a problem that, Oh, so I didn't, so I didn't get, you know, I didn't get to go on that cruise or I didn't get to go buy that motorcycle. My gosh, who cares? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Am totally. I weird? Am I weird? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. You're the poster poster man for all things good, all the, for good causes. And I, I, 
I guess that's really interesting because does it take that? I mean, if you could go back and change anything, would you change anything at all? Oh, no. You know, I, I, my wife and I, we, we talk about this a lot, you know, uh, in fact, you know, should we have quit earlier or should we have stayed around longer? Uh, all I can say is it happened in a way that I just can't see it happening any better way. Mm. You know, even the mistakes that we made, you know, you take a look at how, you know, how you made them and what happened and you learn from them. And um, were, were they struggles? Absolutely. Hmm. But you know what? Those struggles were some of our funnest times. Yeah. You know, um, my wife and I, we got to sit down and really crack open the checkbook and go, okay, you know, what are we going to do? Hmm. What do we have to sacrifice? What do we have to do? And, it, you know, she may, she may think differently, <laughs> but it was fun. Um, you know, it was fun to, to be able to maybe, maybe selfishly to know that you're making these sacrifices for the cause that we are just emphasized it more, you know, it just made it feel more, um, maybe that's a, a, a bad point of view, but, um, but I, I just, I just, it just made me feel like, you know, the more I sacrificed to this, the more I got out of it. And, uh, hasn't hasn't changed I, i've got to say i've got to say one thing that's coming across quite evidently is that and you haven't said the word yet but i think just that your belief in god and your god consciousness throughout all of this because as i've interviewed people over time on this podcast those who do work like yourself and see beyond the sacrifice of what others would consider sacrifice really see there is a calling that's greater than them. There is a cause that goes beyond them. And that really stems from the a huge a belief in a power, in a hand greater than theirs. And, it, and it's, it's God. Is that where yours comes from as well? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. You know, <sighs> sleep in heavenly peace was an answer to a prayer that I, mm. I was having, you know, um, I think everybody goes through life um, and struggles with belief. I don't care what religion you are. I think you go through life and you question, um, which I think is a good thing. I think we, you know, um, if you believe in God or don't, um, I think it's always good. That's how we grow as a society. That's how we grow as humanity is thinking about problems and, and coming up with solutions. For me, um, I, I struggled. Uh, with faith. I was very, I mean, I served a mission for my church for two years. I was very, very active um, up until about, uh, about 35 when I was 35 and, and um, just started asking a lot of questions and thinking about what, you know, what is it that I really believe? And that, it's probably a common age to have that happen. Um, but when you do that, um, you know, you, you begin to, when you start having doubts, especially when you're trying to be a good person, you start having doubts, it, it, it's a negative effect. You know, you feel like, um, Hey, am I being led down the wrong road or, or, mm. you know, you're letting someone influence you poorly because you have doubts. And, um, and I, I, you know, of course I was having the same feelings, but on the other hand, I felt, well, you know what? I'm, I, I still feel like I'm a good person. Mm. You know, I have doubts. I don't know why, but am I still a good person or not? Um, and, that was a good motivator as sleep in heavenly peace was getting off the couch, building that, that second bunk bed was one of the motivated things uh, that I felt like I needed to do because no matter what religion you are. Um, and this is, this was just my thought process, no matter whether you believed in God or not, 
no matter what you thought was right or wrong or who was right or wrong. I, when I built that first bunk bed, when I was sitting on that couch afterwards, I thought, you know what? I don't care who you are. I don't care what you believe in. Mm-hmm. Building a bed for a child that doesn't have one is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any religion on this planet or belief period is mm-hmm. going to argue with that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, that's what got me off the couch really. And from then on, you know, that's why sleeping on the peace is not associated with any religion, any political mm-hmm. um, uh, affiliate, anything like that. We are merely humans helping humans. Mm-hmm. And you know, whether you want to believe, and we have a lot of people that are very religious and uh, attribute their, their um, getting off the couch moment or whatever mm-hmm. to, to a higher power. And that's great. Yeah. We got some people that don't. Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm just, I think I'm very fortunate to be able to sit and go, you know what, however that happened, good for you. Mm-hmm. You know, however you came about the, getting the courage and deciding on that little tiny moment that crossed your path. And you said, you know what, enough's enough. I'm going to do something about this tiny moment. Whatever that did, whatever that was that got you there. Good for you. You know, and higher power or not, we have a calling here as a human, humans helping humans. These are little humans mm. and they need, someone needs to help them. So why can't, why can't that be us? Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So was yours, was yours specifically a higher power moment or was it just a human moment? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's the best way I can answer that. Okay. Okay. All right. I, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to think so. Absolutely. You know, um, I, uh, I'll tell you this. Um, I don't know. Um, I welcome, I welcome the idea of anything that motivates us to do good. And for me, um, I just know, and I can honestly say there was something inside of me that said, okay, Luke, you know what? It's this is enough. You're a good person. This is a good thing to do. And those two dots were easy to connect, Okay. you know? And so, um, yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful. And if someone's listening to this, Luke, and thinking, I want to be able to nominate to be, because I know you're expanding into Canada. I know you, before with the interview, we're talking about you wanting to come to Australia and start chapters in Australia because you had inquiries from Australia. Where can someone go and find out more and get into the process of being in the, in life? You bet. So our website is shpbeds.org. So sleep in Emily Peace, shpbeds.org. Um, you can learn about us, see videos. We have a YouTube channel, SHP Beds on YouTube. You can see all of our cool videos. Um, each chapter that we have has its own Facebook page. So if you type in Sleep in Emily Peace and start rattling off a city in the, in the States, you'll probably find one. Um, but we're, we're trying to expand. Um, and when you expand to different areas, especially different countries, you know, they have their own rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, uh, for example, Canada, we have over a hundred plus chapter presidents that want to start one up in Canada. We can't yet. We've got to get this organization set up there and we will here in the next three months, take some time, um, and some money. But we, once we get that set up, then we're ready to start training chapter presidents. We want to do the same in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, the biggest challenge, and I will give a shout out, um, if I may to anybody in Australia that, would like to start something 
and help us get out there. Mm. Um, we are looking for that. We would love that. Mm -hmm. uh, they can get a hold of me. I'd hate, I'm not going to give out my email address, yeah. but we can go to our website and, and send me specifically um, an email through our general email um, section on the contact us page um, or even call and leave. We have an extension there for the uh, main page that comes to me eventually. Um, we are looking for that. Um, mm -hmm. And if you want to start a chapter, I'll give you the link for starting a chapter, knowing that, you know, if you want to start a chapter in Australia, we're, we're going to be a little slow because we've got to get the organization set up out there. But if you go to shpbeds.org mm -hmm. forward slash start hyphen a hyphen chapter, mm -hmm. that'll take you to a link and, the, and you'll follow the process I mentioned earlier on how to, how to learn how to be a chapter. Super, super. And if someone wants a bed, needs a bed, and is listening to this from in the States or where you currently operate, how can they put their hand up and say, I need a bed? Great question. So on our website, shpbeds.org, there is a, a, a link uh, or a box or a button rather um, called start, uh, uh, apply, uh, request a bed, excuse me. Um, and there, it's just an online application. You know, you get to ask some questions about uh, or answer some questions about who the child are, what's the sleeping arrangements. Mm -hmm. And once that, that applicant, and you can apply for yourself, you can apply for your neighbor, for your family. Wow. Let's say you're an organization, you're applying for, uh, you know, someone that you're trying to help. Um, anybody, as long as they fill out an application, once they enter in the zip code um, of, that, of that child getting the bed, that then goes to a chapter president that has accepted that zip code as an area that he'll deliver to. And, uh, you know, right now it, it used to be only about 10% of our applications we could actually even get to. Um, now it's much higher. We get to about 65%, which is great. Wow. Um, but we still have that, you know, we're still trying to expand here in the States because there's 40% of our applications. We don't even get a C really, wow. you know, we, or I should say they don't even get distributed because they're just in an area we can't deliver to yet, but we're getting there. Excellent. And Australia, Australia will be the same way. Eventually mm -hmm. we'll have, you know, um, the website will include Australia. So you'll be able to click on, um, you know, the Australia link, fill out the application. And then uh, as soon as we start bringing on more chapters in Australia, you'll, we'll be able to service those people. So super, super, super. And if anyone is out there who wants can help get uh, sleep and heavenly peace out to Australia and who has the resources and please do contact Luke, because this is the best way to really create add to the movement that is helping children who don't have to sleep on the floor anymore. And I, I think it's just phenomenal what you've done and the way it started. And so to your motto, that is no kid sleeps on the floor in our town. May, may you excel and prosper beyond your own imaginations and go to places and, and help people with an impact that you could have only imagined in your mind. So I wish you all the very best and thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Luke. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Unbox Your Gift. Speak to you soon, guys.